Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 710th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson with Urban Farm U, and I'm here tonight with Bill McDormand. Hello, Bill. Hello, Greg. Good to see you. You know, one of our big topics of discussion this year has been grains which has been really good. It's, you know what I said early on this year? I said, grain's easy to grow. It's a grass. Anybody can grow grass. In fact, we have trouble killing grass, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why we would talk about grains. It's only 70, 70 to 80% of what we eat in this country. Right. And, and you and I have been talking about, things, you know, these weird concepts like sustainability and self-reliance <laughs> and regenerative. Yeah. And we've got all this stuff going around, you know, growing your own food and food forests and whatever. And yet, why did it take us so long to get into the Figure out thing grain. that actually, you know, gives us 70% of what we eat? I don't right. know, but better late than never. And it sure has been fun. Right. Well, tonight, so let me just give, give a little blurb. This came from Bell through, through Janice. Thank you, Janice. I know you're out there listening someplace. This is called Grain Culture. Heritage and ancient grains are taking center stage in all kinds of gardening programs and on tables across the country. Find out why these grains are easier on the bellies, easy to grow, and a lot easier than you think to process. So... I had a uh, I had a call or no it was a Facebook post and a lady wanted to what was she wanted to know from our grain bundle and while you're talking about the grain bundle I'll post it in the chat box she wanted to know from the grain bundle what was the easiest grain to grow in the low desert and you told me two things can you talk a little bit about that well you know I think maybe the easiest one that I've had to grow and the one that comes in the shortest amount of time is a barley, a naked barley that we have. Did and you say naked barley? Yeah, that's one of the terms they use to describe it. Mm-hmm. A lot of barley comes with a hull on each seed. Uh, and those are actually, you know, most of the barley grown in the United States is that way because it's favored for malters. Mm-hmm. 
like the river oh. Ben Malter that we went to visit. And that's oh, what yes. makes beer. And that's really the largest use of barley. There was a selection, who knows how far, long ago, of barleys that don't have a little papery hole around each seed. And so they're just easier to eat. And so you can, you know, cook them like rice. You can grind uh, it and put it in bread. You can make cookies. And the barley, I think that's the easiest that we found to grow is a Tibetan purple barley. Oh, yes. You know, it's been taken up to eight, 10,000 feet in Tibet, grows with little water, it survives extremes, and including heat. And it matures about a month earlier than all my other grains. And so, wow, easy peasy. So if it's if it's a month early, then that's the beginning and the beginning of your grains. When is it ripe in Cornville? Uh, May. 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 Yeah, I planted actually last year. I planted in July. Excuse me, in January. (laughs) I I was trying to get planted in November. Mm -hmm. Got busy, you know. Couldn't even get it in in December, but it was ready to harvest early May. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, and so perfect. I'm just getting ready to plant my peppers, my squash, my beans. And so I'm trying to perfect a system now so that I actually plant all of those things into the grain before I harvest. And then a week or two before, so the little plants start to come up and they're they're in this kind of partially shaded and protected area. Interesting. And then I just slice the tops off of all the grains and then my other plants can come up you know, in a mulched bed, so to speak. And so that's, you know, I think that's the secret. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, and I'm just late to the party for thousands of years, grains have been used as a cover crop and a nurse crop right. and part of rotations. And so I'm just trying to figure out my own with squash and beans and pepper. So what happened for me when we moved, we moved to Asheville in, in April. Right. And in May, they were using this cover crop on the berms so that they wouldn't wash away. And it was a grass. And as it matured, it matured out at about three feet tall. And it was covered with seed heads. It was absolutely covered with seed heads. And and that's when I stumbled across, well, grain is a grass. (laughs) Anybody can grow it. It was, you know, it was growing on the rainfall here on the side of the road. Well, it's really possible, too, that, you know, they use rye a lot is in mixes, mm-hmm. which is the grain rye. You know, it's sold through different channels as a reclamation grass. You can buy it at feed stores as a cover crop, mm-hmm. or you can go to somebody who sells grains and they'll sell it to you as a food crop. Yeah. All the same plant. Oh, my God. I always love the story about the lady with the beans at Native Seed Search. She <laughs> yeah. walked into the store. Tell that story because that's such a great story. Well, it can happen with rye too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a woman bought, I think they were yellow woman Indian beans, they're called. And I'm not even sure if it's proper to say, call them that anymore. Maybe their name has changed, but that's what we were calling them at the time. And she bought a pound to eat because we sold it, you know, beans to eat as well Mm -hmm. as we had the seeds and seed packets. And so she bought a pound of the beans and and had a bunch of different stuff and seeds at the cash register and then looked up and said, hey, do you know where I can get the seeds for these beans? (laughs) We all just started laughing because those are the seeds. Those are the seeds. You just bought a pound of them, you know? Yeah, plant them away, man. Well, and that points out a lot of what we're, you know, I think the biggest reason we don't have 150 million Americans gardening 
grains is that we've got these categories in our heads mm -hmm. like that. You know, we think that it's that this over here is food and this over here are seeds or, you know, whatever the category, the lines. Yeah. And so uh, there's so many of those around grains. You need a 21 foot wide combine to grow grains. You know, you need a big operation, you need big and flat or whatever. And that's nothing, not the truth. No, that's no, a it's myth. way fun. And in fact, so many people all over the world still grow grains on a small scale. Is there labor involved? Yeah, but it's a craft and you get yeah. better at it every year. And it's beautiful. And there's beautiful tools and, and um, almost dances that come with it. If you've ever seen, we had some, these Somali women show up at one of our seed schools at the Denver Botanical Gardens in Denver. And we were cleaning seeds and oh, I can't remember what, maybe it was Sonoran white weed. We had some kind of grain that we were cleaning and we were trying to do it. You know, we had fans and we were dropping the seeds through the fans, you know, and then the, the fan blows away the chaff and the yep. heavy seeds fall into the bucket. And we were, you know, we we're doing several things and we had screens or whatever. And this woman comes up and she's looks really puzzled. She's looking at what we're doing or whatever. And she grabbed, I can't remember, it was like the lid off a trash can or something and put some of the grains in it and started shaking it back and forth and then throwing it up in the air. And there was just enough breeze that the chaff was being blown off to the side. And she was then, she it was all, it was a dance. She was shaking and she'd toss and she'd shake and she'd toss. Yeah. And the seeds were getting cleaner than we were getting them. <laughs> way more efficient, way more beautiful. And I realized, yeah. I, you know, in my lifetime, she had learned that as a little girl, it yeah. looked like. It was just part and parcel of her being. And I thought, wow, that's, I'm, you know, I'm using my tools are different, but I want to feel at home preparing my own food this way. And it's the whole journey has been so fulfilling. Whatever, you know, we go to Planet Fitness now to get our exercise. Why just use a little bit in your backyard and get involved and hone your skills around these grades. And it's really fulfilling. Amen to that. Peggy, yeah. Peggy says, first of all, beautiful strategy. Then she says she's in Sedona. Is it too late to plant grains in zone eight, Sedona, 4,500 feet? I mean, Peggy, you're 10 miles from Cornville. Yeah, I'm planting Maybe. mine. I'm planting mine tomorrow. There you and, go. It's not too late. You know, Sedona's a bit higher than Cornville, but I planted, you know, two years ago, I didn't get my grains in in November and I planted in December. Mm -hmm. And as I said, last year, it was January 20th. <laughs> and I planted and every 27 out of 31 crops worked. And so of emmers and einkorns and rye and durums and hard red, you know, heritage hard red wheats and Ethiopian purple. And I mean, you know, it was good. So yeah, now, now is the time to plant. Are you growing them together? So you'll grow several of them together and then harvest the grains or do you grow them separate? And then, you know, the right. purple Tibetan is over here and the Sonoran white wheat is over here. Yeah, I'm still part of a, what we call it the Heritage Grain Alliance program now. And so mm -hmm. what I did was I used my database and I figured out what the most uh, requested grains were that we had the least amount of seed for to send oh. out to people around the world. And so those are the 31. It was sort of a cross section of really popular and what we didn't have. And so did it take care of everything? No, we have about 200 I do grades here now. 
and, wow. and we're starting to release more and more of them. And so I'm going to go through some of the same process. I am going to do what you say, though, for one of my bets this year. And that is just plant them all together. Yeah, it's called Grex, right? Grex is one of the words being used. Yeah, I've got a mix that started with a thousand different bread wheats, came from the USDA and was grown by the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center in California. California? They requested mm -hmm. it. And then they harvested uh, whatever it was, all mixed together. And we got some of that. And then Joseph Lofthouse grew that for a year. So I have some of his. And so we're going to, I'm just going to grow it out here. And, you know, the goal is in three or four years to have three or four grains that come out of that, that are just home runs mm. that are just unbelievably good for my yard in Cornville. So if somebody took this mix and, and planted it somewhere else, they would get different grains. And that's the point. Yeah. These grains have been taken all over the world and there are literally hundreds of thousands of varieties of wheat. So how are we going to find all of those, you know, go sift through all of those if we try to keep everything straight? We can't, we don't have time. Mm -hmm. So we should always in our yards have a little bit of this sort of diversity gardening to find new stuff. Wow, we can get seeds. Because I'm not sure these supply lines for all of these grains are going to last. And so if right. we really want to, you know, button down the hatches and pay attention to our own regions and actually grow our own foods, let's find the right varieties. Because once you do, it's like so much easier so we're a couple of questions here why are these grains easier on our bellies well that's a good question we at uh, the grain schools that we uh, co-sponsored at the university of colorado colorado springs mm -hmm. for three years in a row one of the professors there margaret and i'll let me try to remember her last name is a professor there that has belly problems gut problems and a sensitivity to grains so she did what most people are being told to do and are doing now and that is giving them all up right i can't eat wheat and right. that's the, it's the gluten right we've we've honed in on that although it may or may not all be gluten but that seems to be the target at least as we're learning this and you've seen the gluten-free section in your in your supermarket how big it is now so there's millions of people being affected yeah. and usually what they do is just give it all up and that's probably where everybody has to start or most people and allow their guts to heal. Something's poking holes and causing problems. And gluten is part of that probably. But what we're finding is that after months, year, a couple of years, whatever it is, there's a lot of individual variation out there, but more mm -hmm. data coming in. What Margaret pointed out is generally generally as you move back into the older grains you have fewer problems and so those are the ones being reintroduced into people's diets after they've been off gluten for a while that sort of thing so if you're thinking about uh, grains and you want to get involved in this just i put put wheat into three different categories okay there's modern wheats there are the emmers and there are the einkorns and the einkorns are the most ancient. They're actually a wild grass. They have 14 chromosomes. And somewhere along the line, thousands of years ago, it crossed mm -hmm. with a wild goat grass that was in the fields near it. And you could still see both these grasses growing in Turkey. The result was a new kind of wheat that had double the chromosomes, 28 chromosomes. And we call that emmer generally. Oh. The emmers are the 28 chromosome wheats. All right, those are easier. 
on your belly too. And then that crossed with another plant. And we know what plant that is. And that gave birth to the 64 chromosome weeds that we generally <laughs> call the modern weeds, even though they've been around for a couple of thousand years. And so it's the modern weeds. It's the most modern of the modern weeds that seem to be causing the problem. So that if you see this continuum going back, go back. And it seems like the farther you go back, the least problems you have. No smoking gun yet. Margaret gives a lecture on Roundup. You know, it may be the glyphosate that they're spraying on wheat to dry it down in some areas. It may be that, that we don't use sourdough, you know, 24, 48 hour yeast anymore and really digest gluten. So those are two other factors that people have to consider. I want to point out something you said, because not everybody knows this, and that's what they do with Roundup to dry up wheat. And when I learned this, and I'm going to have you explain in a minute, but when I learned this, I only ever get organic bread anymore because of that. So what are they doing with the Roundup? Well, it's not enough to only get organic now because, you know, the latest tests, random tests across the United States, all ages, is everybody has glyphosate in their blood now. It's everywhere. So what they do, what they found out is they can increase their yields and they can speed up their dry down time. So what happens is before they harvest the wheat in the fall, especially in large wheat growing areas where there's no irrigation, they're just dependent on the the rain there and then it dries out and then they have to harvest before it rains again, early fall or winter. And now with climate change, there's all sorts of weird storms coming and things, you know, threatening their crops. Well, they found that they can speed up that drying process if they just spray everything with glyphosate and they can actually, the seeds plumping and dry harder, you get more yield, up to 13% more yield on some fields. That was one of the figures that was thrown out. So those are real dollars. If you've got, you know, 25,000 acres of wheat and you can get 13% more, you can pay for the cost to spray it. Yeah. But there's so much of it being sprayed now that even organic wheat is testing for glyphosate. And the only thing they can figure is that it's in the rain, especially in Montana. Yeah, I called uh, Jeffrey Smith from IRT. Oh, you did? Yeah, from IRT. That's uh, Institute for Responsible Technology. He's one of the big, 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 big speakers about glyphosate and GMOs and that kind of stuff. And when I heard last August that glyphosate was showing up in the rain, I he's a friend of mine. So I called him and I said, can we do a podcast on this? This is really important. He said, oh, yeah. So if you go back about to maybe four to eight weeks. Oh, um, really? Back in, yeah, maybe back in September, there's a uh, okay. yeah, conversation with Jeffrey Smith on the podcast, on my podcast about this, specifically this. Wow, good. Jewel has an interesting question. She says, how do you name the seeds when they cross pollinate with 31 different plants? Great question, Jewel. Do what humans have always done. Make it up? Call it something important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if it's different, Uh you know, there's no honor in a gardening community if you're just making stuff up that's actually already been called something important. Yeah. I mean, that's what it means to be in the community is honors each other's languages or whatever. And so, but if it's truly different, you know, and it came out of your own mix, that's how we got all the names of all the things we've ever had. That's one of those categories. Oh, yeah. The seed police are coming to get us. 
You can't. You don't have the authority to name a new plant, right? You know, That's what I've, we think. Right. You know, I've been growing out this cow pea in Phoenix for 20 years. It's seasonal. It grows wild at the urban farm at the property that I moved out of in April. It's a red pea size bean. And I thought maybe 20 years ago, I got them from Native Seed Search. And they, I thought they were calling them Rio Red Cow Peas. And in doing the, re, so that's what I've always called them. And doing the research, trying to, trying to track down that name, I checked in with Native Seed Search and, you know, they have records and they couldn't find any, <laughs> any data on the Rio Red Cow Pea. They, they had a couple other names that they called it, but so I've officially now named it the Urban Farms Rio Red Cowpea. Yeah, thanks. Well, and it's because it's because I had a conversation with you a couple of weeks ago. It's like, Bill, I thought this what it was, but it is a cowpea, and and uh, you just said you said call it what you call it. It's like, yes. So the Urban Farm has their own seed now. Well, and you know, when in all honesty, if somebody you meet somebody someday who comes up to you and says, whoa, 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 here is the real story. You want to hear uh -huh. the real story about it and where it came from and how it got there and why the name, you know, then you go, great. Love it. You know, right? that, you just so we're open to building, yeah. you know, a community with honor and respect yeah. around all of the names and the things we're doing. Just because we name something doesn't mean we own it. In fact, yeah. I don't want to own it. Right. Right. I do Public that domain, to, baby. to take care of it and to share it. You know, that's really all that's about. Yeah, and all that gets easier as you work within the confines of your own community. Yeah, everybody will know what things are. That's really kind of a good thing. So, yeah, yeah so, you know, just to wrap that other question up. Yeah, try the ancient and heritage grains. More, you know, einkorn has 40% more protein. Oh, yes. More flavor, more nutrition. It's just unbelievable. Does it bake up, you know, Wonder Bread-like big fluffy loaves? No. Well, hard red, the modern wheats do that. That's why we have them. 99% of all the wheat grown in the world is for white bread, mm -hmm. you know? So we have to decide what we want, you know? And as we look at scarcity, you know, maybe yes, supply lines being uh, disrupted. Steve Jones, I saw uh, from the bread lab in Washington. The bread lab? Yeah, if you want to have, I mean, if you want to buy the e-ticket, Try to get a ticket to the Bread Lab Summer Gathering. They're sold out a year in advance and people come from all over the world. Oh, it, wow. It's really quite a, a, quite a scene up there. Um, Jeff Bezos has been there and, and Bill Gates. And I mean, it's up in the Skagit Valley. And he was a, is a grain professor from the university there, but then gave up doing industrial grain breeding and said, what I really want to do and what we should be doing mm -hmm. is finding the best wheats that grow best for the uses we have right where we are. Mm -hmm. And so he grew out 10,000 varieties of wheat. Um, there's and, that many? And oh, there's 300,000 wow. mentioned. There's 160,000 varieties at CIMIT, the Center for Wheat and Maize, the gene bank in Mexico. Wow. That, that does that. But anyway, they bake 900 loaves of bread, little loaves. He walked through the 10,000, picked out the winners, Steve, how do you know if it's a winner or not? He said, Bill, they jump up and shout to you. <laughs> Especially in the morning when you're drinking coffee and reading haiku. Uh -huh. Right? So he tagged them. They harvested those, kept them separate, mm -hmm. baked these loaves of bread. Their goal is to find the best bread wheat for the Skagit Valley. 
And people are all the time are saying, Steve, Steve, how are you going to scale this up? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. What we should be doing is scaling down yeah. and finding out what works right where we are. And yep. if we have, if we're worried about scarcity in the future, he goes, he raises his hand. I have an idea, a way to double the yield on our wheat. And you go, whoa, that's got to be worth something. How do you do it? Use the whole grain. They, oh. they sift out the bran and the yeah. germ, which yep. is half of the weight. We just take away from our bread. If you want to double our yield and making the food that we eat directly, just grind whole wheat. And it's so good and so flavorful and so much better for you. Way less gut problems just doing that. So it is breadlab.wsu.edu. That's Washington yeah. State University breadlab.wsu.edu. Steve Jones speaks all over the country. Mm -hmm. There are uh, grain groups and people getting together all over now. And he is a favorite speaker. If you get a chance, go see him. Definitely worth it. Cool. Alicia has a, a pondering question, a wandering pondering question. The fiber and whole grains can support healthy digestion in various ways. First, fiber helps give bulk to stools and lowers your risk of constipation. Second, some types of fiber in grains act as prebiotics. This means they help feed your beneficial gut bacteria, which are important for digestive health. She says, any thoughts? Yeah, duh. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's pre pretty amazing. And then, you know, one of the speculations mm -hmm. is that in the quest to increase yield, Mm -hmm. which is the holy grail in the wheat industry with the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of acres that we have of growing wheat. If you can increase the yield per acre, that's more dollars for everybody. Right. So our wheats are short because they don't want the plant to waste energy on a tall stem. Put that into the grain. Oh, Done all sense. this genetic tweaking. One of the other tweaks, though, is that more starch in the kernels. Starch is bigger and heavier molecules. Oh, there's questions about some of the amino acids even dropping out completely the proteins. So modern wheats have worked in that direction too. They're just way more, you know, starch and um, almost, you know, starchy, sugary calories in modern yeah. wheat. And so that's not, you know, the older wheats have more of everything <laughs> that seems to be good for us. And so those yeah. things are taken out in order to make a really cool industrial product that you can go to your store and buy it at whenever you want. I mean, that yeah. was the trade-off for it, so. Ann's got a great question here. What's the best way to save and store grain to grow again? Would freezing it be good to keep germination high in a sealed container? She says, I'm a novice when it comes to saving seed. Cool, dark, and dry is what we say for all our grains. Mm -hmm. So keep them where you see all our seeds, all our seeds, all excuse seeds. me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, if, if you want to put them in a freezer, you know, bag them up on a, a dry day. Don't mm -hmm. do it on one of your foggy, rainy days, wherever you are, but wait for a day when the humidity is lower and then put it in impermeable plastic or glass. Glass. You don't, you know, moisture gets through regular plastic bags after a while. So yep. that's not good. You, that doesn't keep them dry. So you want to, you know, you want to do that. And what, you know, the, the story, the historical story of grain storage mm -hmm. is the same story of, as the building of empires. Whenever there was a breakthrough 
in how they could successfully store grain, large amounts of it for longer amounts of time, mm -hmm. then they would have more food to feed armies, to feed people in cities. And that gave birth to all the Earth's great empires. It was all based on grain. And a lot of that was the technology and storage. And so large scale storage of grain is still a mystery how to do that well. And, you know, there are new techniques now, even with thousand pound bags that the smaller farmers are using, where you pump out some of the air and put in nitrogen to keep bugs from getting in because little those weevils like we had oh, in yeah, some of yeah. our seeds one boy that gets into your grain and you're in real trouble yeah and so yeah usually on a small scale and if you use your grains every year keep them cool dark and dry you shouldn't have any trouble all the big problems you've heard about get smaller as you get smaller <laughs> right doesn't mean they'll go won't go away but then you deal with them as relatively small problems when we store a lot of our seeds in just five gallon buckets sealable five-gallon buckets. Right. And, and we're in works. Phoenix and we do it on dry days <laughs> and yeah. we've never had any trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Those sealable five-gallon buckets are great for grains. Yeah. So, and you can even get them with the screw tops that make it easier. And, yeah. And what I do in my five-gallon buckets is they go by, I, I sorted them by season. So my cold season crops and my warm season crops, and then by variety. So eggplants and tomatoes, are in one bag and they're all in plastic bags and the plastic bags go into the five gallon buckets that then get sealed. Yeah, there you that go. works really well. You know, I, we're getting old enough to maybe start figuring this stuff out after 40 years, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Well, this is a really interesting question from Reed. Can grain be stored in the same room with hanging garlic for better pest resistance? Ding, 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 ding. Great idea. Sure. Why not? I think that's been done forever, you know. Really? Mix, mixing and matching stuff to keep, uh -huh. put things in it, put oregano and some of the aromatic herbs in and around you to keep bugs and stuff out. Garlic's great for that, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I love that, I, that whole idea. And yeah, you know, one that's of the other things, things we should probably talk about a little is that you know i plant my greens here in the fall and grow them through the winter but you mm -hmm. there's well, i'm not sure that almost everybody else especially if you live a little bit farther north in the united states or in the latitudes you you summer could be a better time yeah to grow your grains so mm -hmm. don't worry about that try them all there's this there's this industry category about winter grains and spring grains and mm -hmm. winter grains you know the ones you plant, would plant now and grow through the winter or the spring ones you plant in the spring like regular crops. And, uh, you know, I've grown, I don't know, about 70 different grains now. And um, I'm not sure any of them can't be grown in two different seasons, depending on where you are. Right. That all those categories are breaking down again as we get into smaller plots, we can mine them and they're microclimates everywhere you go. So don't be afraid of those sorts of words either as you, if, if, and when you get into, the, I'll just say, if you get into this, no, when no, you get when. into this. Yeah. When, when you get into this, because oh it's God. just so fun. Oh my God. Ann Thompson, she was the beginner that just asked that question uh -huh. uh, about saving and storing seeds. She says, I started spelt purple barley and emmer as succession crops to overwinter in 2020 for an early harvest in 2021. I'm only now building a DIY thresher from YouTube. I grew four by four of each plots of each trial. Awesome. Yeah. 
Boy, I better, I'll, I'll go on and look for threshers on YouTube because, you know, the small scale, home scale equipment and techniques have been, psh, nobody does it anymore. So we've lost yeah. that. There used to be really elegant equipment to do that on small scales. There's some hammer mills and other things around. I mm -hmm. saw a guy get a, a Makita drill with mm -hmm. a really long bit, like the kind that would, you used to be able to buy sheetrock mud stirring paddles. Oh yes. Uh -huh. and, and hook onto your drill. Only on the end then took the paddle off and put a little chain, you know, about an eight inch piece of regular chain, pretty mm -hmm. heavy chain. And then we'll go with the chain down in the bucket and that would thrush. Oh, interesting. All of his grade. I, I just have a box, a wooden box with a piece of hardware cloth, that quarter inch, wire screen mesh you can buy at the hardware mm -hmm. store mm -hmm. on the bottom i just cut a piece and put it on the bottom i just dump all my grains in there and they get in there with my shoes and do the twist a little bit and that rips the the, the holes and the it separates the seed from the plant that's what threshing means yeah. and then i just pour that through a fan and i'm ready to go, and you're ready you, to go. You know, there you go yeah Alicia says sun drying is one of the oldest and easiest methods used to store food grains. Sun drying yeah. removes any moisture and keeps it fresh longer. There you go. Yeah. Clay pots. Then there you go. Yeah, I need. I'm going to take go. up pottery. I'd have to build my own seed storage clay pots. I think that's the direction I'm going now. Nice. So, couple things coming up. We have uh, tomorrow night. We're doing a drip tape class. Janice and I are doing a drip tape class online so if you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash events you can find that there yeah good uh, good idea seed school online give me just 30 seconds on seed school online bill would you uh, let me comment on the drip tape Did, oh I, please since you're not in arizona anymore or maybe you heard there was an initiative to require drip irrigation for all agriculture in arizona really yeah yeah which i'm not About sure time. is it Good. I know I'm, there's huge parts of it that could do it or whatever, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure a top-down law to make everybody do it. I don't know how you would even do that, but but it's a good idea. Yeah. I just wanted to say that. Seed School Online is invaluable. Yeah. You know, we don't have our own seeds. Almost all of them come from thousands of miles away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and now we know that organic seeds being contract grown in China you know, from our better, our best companies. And so wow. if we're really going to be self-reliant or, and take care of ourselves, then we need our own seeds. And then that's the start of the greatest adventure you could be on. It's yeah. the most valuable thing you can do. There's yeah. more, you know, there's a million seeds in every seed. There's nothing else exponential or more powerful you'll ever pick up or put in your hand. So how do you do that? Well, Seed School Online is the condensation of about 35 years experience and and dozens and dozens of seed schools back and forth question answer what how do you get to people quickly what do they need to know what don't what can you throw away or whatever and we condensed all that down in a really beautiful period into the seed school online which i can't duplicate now you know i look at that sometimes and i go whoa that was right. really good yeah, i don't know what happened good. it's like a you know, a musician looking back at past concerts and seeing themselves do stuff they can't do anymore. And that's, mm -hmm. I, I kind of feel that way about it. So it's invaluable. It's available. Thanks to Seeds. you, Greg, and the Urban Farm. It's been online and everybody could have access. Seedschoolonline.com. Yeah. Or .org. Uh-oh. <laughs> One or the other. Ju I'll look it up here in a minute. 
Jewel says that reminded me. I was looking at coffee, herbs, and spice grinders for the use for for grow, grinding grains. But it, I looked at stone ground mills. They cost three hundred and forty-five dollars. So she was wondering if a coffee grinder would grind the whole grain seed. Um, yeah, but they're better for coffee. That's what they're designed for. Mm-hmm. So the the reason you want a stone ground mill and you want a horizontal you want the stones horizontal is because when you grind grains that way you're actually pushing you're breaking the skin of the 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 shell Mm -hmm. and when you do that the volatile oils inside can start to volatize and that's nutrition and flavor so you don't want to lose that horizontal stone mill grinds and then rubs all those oils into the Mm -hmm. flour so that you can get those out when you bake or whatever, or make pasta or whatever you're gonna do. That is the gold standard. You'll get the best. That's why we've had them for a thousand years. I bought a mock mill, which was considerably less. And they are the best, the best Mm -hmm. inside stone mill. And the the newer ones are in recycled plastic. So they brought the price down. And I don't know what's happened with inflation and the pandemic for their price, but it's worth it. It's if the house burned down and they said, you can run back in and get one tool before it's gone. That's what I would grab is my mock mock mill. mill. Yeah. Yeah. Reed wants to know, could you use a food mill for lesser results? You can use anything. I used to hand grind. That works well. Mm -hmm. Coffee grinder will work. Use whatever you've got to do it because it's all good. But I'm just telling you, my experience now is that after having it and using it and see how efficient it is and how quickly it works and how immutably long lasting it's going to be, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to, not you to know, have one. not to have, not to have one. a good tool, man. And maybe, maybe get together with three or four of your neighbors or whatever. I mean, you could pass one around. My Paul LeBeau at Mock Mill, who's the European coordinator for all the American sales, told me that my little mock mill 200, I could turn it on for 24 hours straight and grind all the wheat that would be needed in a whole village. Wow. He said that, you know, the integral part is that good. The motor, they worked all the, on this for 40 years in Belgium. They know what they're doing when they build these things. And so what, you know, I've got my skill saw from 35 years ago. I don't have very right. many tools that have lasted 35 or 40 years, but this one's going to. So yeah, yeah. it's worth it. Nice. So that's seedschoolonline.com is where you find information about Seed School. Any final thoughts, Bill? Mm, man, we're just getting started. <laughs> right. fun. If you're not growing any of your own, just you can grow. You don't need a field. You don't even need a garden. If you go to heritagegrains.org, we've got little packets of einkorn. Put one seed in one pot and grow it and see what happens to you. You're growing a grain that's four. 15,000 years old. Wow. Right? Or I've got Harani Durham, which was found in Herod's tomb. And it's talked about in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar grew Harani mm-hmm. Durham. And Durham is pasta wheat. That's semolina. I mean, you, this is just, I'm giving you a taste of just how much fun and how mind-bogglingly op- mind-opening this whole thing is, you know. So yeah. do it. That would be my final thought. Nice. Thank you. And next month's topic is all about your trip to India. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, uh, yeah. You were at a, you were at a <laughs> seed, 
you were at a seed thing in India with Donna Shiva and the U. It was a UN thing, wasn't it? Yeah, United Nations Treaty to control the world's genetic resources for food and agriculture. Nice. And then, yeah, highlight got to go and spend time at Vandana Shiva's place, Navdanya, with um, students who are gathering from all over the world for their annual course. And wow, we need more of those. <laughs> Somehow, more right. courses, more places like that, please. Yeah. yeah. All right, Bill. Well, thank all you right. so much. I look forward to seeing you next month. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat before then. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for showing up, everybody, tonight. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, if you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.